Hey everyone, Zach Dixon here, and welcome to our 42nd episode of Animalators. Curious conversations from the world of animation. Uh, for those of you at listening at home, we are live at Blinn. Let's hear it, Blinn. I am incredibly excited and honored to be here. Thanks so much for the Blend team for having the podcast. Um, for those of you who may be unfamiliar with the show, Animalators is a bi-weekly interview-based podcast created by the team at Ivy Studio in Nashville. Our guests include animators, directors, game developers, and studio owners. Each guest or team is asked to create a short animal GIF for their episode, which have been cycling up there. Uh, to find out more about the show and listen to some of our past episodes, head to animalators.com or subscribe to our podcast wherever podcasts can be found. Uh, today we have three uh, very special guests who Justin already uh, introduced. Um, so yeah, let's, let's get right to it. Um, this is usually where I say, like, no worries, you know, we can start any question over if we want, you know, no pressure, um, but, but no, the pressure is, is very much on. Um, so Andrew, probably, you know, keep the Star Wars spoilers to a minimum, I don't think they might like that. Maybe. I, I'm going to try to not get arrested by the Disney police. I appreciate it. That's nice. Uh, well, our panel topic today is the pursuit of originality. Um, so let's, let's kind of start with that. I think it would be, be interesting to kind of hear um, maybe the context behind that because it's, it's a really kind of lofty goal. So um, I'd like to hear from all three of you. What does kind of originality mean to you? Let's, let's start with Andrew. Sure. I think, uh, well... Uh, Zach, you don't get a round of applause as often, but let's give it, come on. Quite an intro. Uh, what I would say is originality, right, is, you know, people like to talk about, you know, is anything original or what is original, what makes it up? But I think how you get someone to perceive what you create, does it create a new emotion? Does it have a different feeling in the context of the current world, the current, you know, look of things. And I think that's sort of what the shift of designs or the mixing of trends, that creation of new things is what I think is originality. Good answer. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, I don't know, originality I think is really hard to create. So I, I like to think of it more of authenticity, that um, originality is a byproduct of authenticity. And what you said about um, it being, usually being in the zeitgeist or, you know, coming from a remix of things, I echo that as well, so. Yeah, I think uh, both great <laughs> versions of that. It's a, it is a very difficult thing to talk about in general, uh, but I, I think you, you when you work on animation, it takes a long time, generally, especially for a story-driven project. And by the end of it, it is not original at all to you. It's terrible. And, um, and it's boring, and you feel like everybody's going to hate it. So the, the best gauge of whether or not you're doing the right thing is if you can remain passionate about it, because there's something that connects to you in some way. And I think that's, for me, the entry point of of a project in, in the beginning is like, am I going to be able to pitch this to a hundred people and convince them that it's worth doing too? And I think I think the original idea is really not even yours at that point. It's like a combination of everyone's everyone's taste and talent coming together over time, and um, 
and you're not really going to know at the end, so you just hope to pursue things that you find interesting and, and maybe other people will find them interesting too. So how do, how do you push beyond the safe? I mean, a lot of times we get um, a, a brief and, and we have to find a way to kind of elevate it. And, and a lot of times clients or movie studios want what is bankable and, and what they know. Um, so could you talk about that a little bit? Let's start, start with you, Erica. Me, okay. Um, I, that question just makes me think when you pitch like three different ideas and there's always like a safe one in there. It's yeah. like... It's almost like, oh, maybe I should just take it out because you know there's a good chance. Um, so I think oh, that they'll pick that one. Uh, I think the only thing that you can do is just continually put it on the table and then, you know, from what I talked about, I think pushing boundaries is something that um, you can try to do in your own time so that people, when they come to you, they're like, oh, I want that original thing that you've already done. So I think it's a combination of um, just, again, putting it out there continually, keeping your fingers crossed, and um, putting it out there so that they'll buy it eventually. Uh, yeah, I think uh, over the last couple of years, after going out on my own and leaving a big studio, it's been, you get presented with all kinds of things that studios want to make. Lots of sequels, lots of uh, you know, toy companies wanting the Lego movie, but for their toy. And... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Not realizing that like, maybe what makes the Lego movie great is it's completely subversive to the idea of marketing, but it's also a celebration of playing at the same time. And, um, and I feel like those opportunities are out there to twist on what is expected. And if you're able to be passionate about it, sometimes you can actually convince people that that's the, that's the safe idea. Mm. Not being like everyone else and standing out because that's what everybody wants. So I think there's, it's, it's really just a salesy manipulation yeah, trick sub, that you're trying to pull off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but sometimes it works. Um, the three ideas, I didn't think, I didn't consider, I've never um, done anything for, for advertising at all. And the idea of three ideas, that, ha that happens at Disney for shorts too. Mm -hmm. And uh, they definitely picked my safe one. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's, you know, if you love all of them, there should be, you shouldn't be presenting something you're not going to love doing unless you absolutely need the work, I think. And then at least nothing's completely safe, right? There's a joke in Hollywood, right? Like a few years ago, there was this really sweet uh, penguin movie. And it was like narrated and it was just so different and, and made all this money and it was like really sweet. And, you know, you think, wow, they took a chance on this new original idea and it was something that no one had ever done before. You know, we should do more of that. But instead they're like, we should do more penguin movies. I worked on one of those. And um, the third one, which was the best one, the, the surfing penguin movie. The sad thing is you're halfway through making that penguin movie and the, the documentary comes out and you're like, shit. And then, and then the other animated one comes out and you're like, well, it's, we're fucked now. What's your podcast rated? Whatever. Okay. You know. <laughs> but one thing that I see that people create their own art and they post it online and brands or companies will see that and think, oh, you know, that would be a cool thing for us and maybe they'll contact that artist and reach out to them. And maybe that's at least one way to experiment with ideas or things that you don't feel like are maybe marketable or they fit into the sort of repetitiveness of 
the needs of certain type of advertising. But if you put it out there and it and the response and, and people have a chance to see it without having to like pick it, that you are at least giving people an opportunity to see something different and possibly follow up on like that kind of an idea or something obviously that you might be interested in doing, that's the way to show people what that could be. So this one kind of relates a little bit to um, finding your own voice um, as a means to kind of stand out in, in a very crowded industry, which is something that, that you all three have, have managed to do. Uh, so could you talk a little bit about that, uh, starting with Patrick? Um, yeah. So I have a habit of I, I like a constantly writing down like Evernote clips of dumb ideas. And I treat it as like if, if you... If you write down your dreams and you wake up in the morning, they're mostly shitty and, ter and don't make any sense. But every once in a while, it might actually add up to something. So I write down everything, and then when I need some idea, I try to like find two or three of those that feel like they might combine in a fresh way that gives me new ideas. And I feel like that your voice comes out of your solving of the problem of putting ideas together and making that little constraint for me helps do that. So all of the projects I've done have been mashups of two or three things that I think are cool. And I feel like that's enough that gets your taste in there. That makes your own voice be something, even if it's, it's I don't think it's something you can try for. It's just there. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think it's kind of funny that you're like, oh, you found your voice. And I was like, oh, that's <laughs> Did glad I to hear it. <laughs> because I don't necessarily feel that way. I mean, I, I am more of a generalist. And I know now more, I feel OK saying, OK, I don't want to do this and this and this. But it's a process of elimination, for me at least, finding a voice. And I think I'm still very much on that journey. So Now me. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, I think for me, it's, it's, it's putting constraints on what you do, right? Like going off what Patrick was saying and like I do tutorials or in the case of the work we did on Star Wars where you're designing in the world that exists and in a way that creates a limitation of like that sort of retro futuristic look, right? What would be my interpretation of this modern, you know, what, what, we, what we need to create, what story we need to tell, but being able to tell it within the constraints of a retro science fiction kind of world. And so it's always interesting to have those constraints, but then think about new ways that, you know, I would try to convey that. And, uh, you know, that's just always a, a good way to approach it. Um, Erica, you, you mentioned this a little bit in your talk, and, and even just now, the kind of role of, of personal passion and, and authenticity in um, not, not only creating your own voice, but also just creating work that only you can make. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd love to hear you talk a little bit, bit more about that, and then uh, from the guys as well. Sure. Uh, I mean, I think that work that's authentic to you tends to come, at least for me, it's come from a frustration being in the commercial world and saying, I want to get back to, I know that I love this stuff and I want to get back to that feeling. So um, I, I imagine that a lot of people in this room feel the same because I think if you're attending Blend, you, you probably have that same, same instinct, but it's just trying to remember that it's still there through um, 
some of the things that make it difficult, maybe for the better, maybe for the worse. So um, I don't know if that answered your question, but we'll, we'll go for it. Good. <laughs> Are you shaking your head yes or no? <laughs> um, what was that? Authentic? Uh, yeah, like there's the role of, of kind of your, your own personal passions. Um, I, I think the biggest thing that, the, the, I had this drive at Disney, like I was getting, by the end of um, Tangled, I, we were, uh, there's a group that was getting really bored with traditional CG look, that everything looks like Pixar, and there's, there's got to be a way to convince um, the executives to make something that looks different. The, the, the problem with that is you're trying to convince the people that created that look in yeah. the first place right. and love it and, it and it's done well for them and um, but we found that there was like a group that was passionate about trying to do something else and um, luckily we had a few development executives that were like willing to give us the money and the time to start playing around with stuff that ended up being like meander and, and the paper man technique and all that stuff that, that I found was just that was the most satisfying thing to be able to like work within a big place and try to do something that looks um, you know, retro and more illustrative. Um, and that, for me, finding that made the workday feel authentic, at least. It made, like, going to work something that feels, felt great. Um, yeah. And the fact that we eventually got to show people was really cool. Yeah, I, I think from my early days of learning After Effects and being on the beta team and, you know, I remember really thinking about how software works and how I wish it worked. And when I'm creating something, I'm thinking, oh, you know it would be good if I could do this or if I could do that? And sort of inadvertently led towards this software development kind of uh, mindset And when I create stuff. And even when I work on a film or on a project, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking even about like, how could this be solved in a different way? Like how could, you know, programming or uh, you know, this technology over here be combined to solve this problem over here. So for me, it's cool to be able to, you know, think from a software perspective and like look at the technologies and see how they can be combined to create something in the, you know, of the space of like art or design. Yeah. No, yeah, that's like part of my next question. Let's, let's talk a little bit about tools for a second because I think you all have a... Uh, quite a variety in the different types of, of tools that you make. Obviously, Andrew, you, you make the tools that you use. Um, and, and that's allowed you to kind of produce some things that kind of we've never seen before. So, so talk a little bit more about that. Well, to lead up to that, right, I do a lot of tutorials. And one of the things I try to challenge myself with is to only use the built-in tools, like plugins that you've ignored every time you see it and you've just blown past them or you've tried them out and you thought, what is this, right? I dug into those plugins, OK? <laughs> For all of you guys. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and, it, you know, you surprisingly find these little nuggets and these cool things. Um, you know, a story I like to tell is about this designer from Japan, and he was using an English version of After Effects, and so he didn't know what any of the names of the plugins were. It just was this plugin, and here are the settings. Now, imagine being able to use software and not be limited by the constraints of what that plugin was intended for, and instead be able to look at it from the perspective of what it could do in every different which way. And I always, I, frankly, I get to benefit from pushing the built-in plugins to create new and innovative things, and that helps me think about 
software and how it should work. And, uh, and, and also, it's, it's a chance for, for other people to, the more you can understand the ins and outs of software on a basic level, that once you get into a, a bigger, broader tool like Cinema 4D where you have so much more control, your mindset is, you don't just look at a texture slot as, let me just put an image in there. You, th you start thinking, well, you know, I could do a fractal noise and then, oh, well, I could tie that into, and I can use a gradient, then a texture, and you, you think a lot deeper with the features that are available and not just uh, what it, how it works on the surface. So, and that's how we develop our tools to tie up that uh, question nicely. <laughs> <laughs> wow, it's not bad. Um, yeah, I think, so I, I mean, my main knife is definitely After Effects and the Adobe suite. Um, but I have uh, worked closely with other programmers and dipped my toes into a bunch of other formats. And I think, you know, the originality being the topic of all this, I think one of the most refreshing things is like what you were saying, if you didn't know what this did, you wouldn't have these expectations and you can be maybe a little bit more free, a little bit more, and you, you don't even know you're making mistakes, you're so naive and getting back to that feeling um, is great. Sometimes it's total crap what you make, but sometimes an interesting kernel emerges from it, from not understanding the rules, um, and then you begin to understand the rules. But um, yeah, I think, and then going to what you were saying about subverting software, these things all can kind of come together in a stew that uh, keeps things fun and super fresh and maybe original. So. Yeah, I love breaking stuff and um it's always been a part, since the Paperman thing happened and we were able to work with like one software developer to make the exact tool we wanted to make the, the one genius software developer. Um, he was already working on a tool that automatically in between uh, vector artwork with uh, predictive arcs based on 2D animation, uh, like motion vectors behind it. I think so I we, saw that. Was there a fish demo? Maybe not. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. There's all <laughs> kinds of demos. Uh, yeah. But it was, that was the start of it, and then putting CG behind it to further guide where these curves were going so you could illustrate in any style and have it oh, like tightly in between automatically was really fun. And that was my first taste of working directly with the software developer. And then going to Google, where it's all software developers and it's a wide open engine, um, it's amazing. And then now I'm, you know, I'm working on tools to be able to storyboard for feature animation in VR which is a huge, really fun, accelerating technology as well because instead of deciding what your cameras are, before you block things out, you can just shoot it um, yeah. and you shoot your drawings, which is really, really cool and, and feels fresh. So I'm always like trying to twist whatever new technology there is to, be, to use just to get ideas out quicker or uh, cut down on the, on the time it takes to finish something. I mean, that's awesome. And I, I think that idea of creative people driving the development of the tools that we use. Like we've all participated in a beta or sent a tweet, you know, or just helped to say, hey, I'm trying to do this thing, you know, is this possible? And like when you're creatively solving a problem, like with VR, like you're gonna be able to say, here's the challenge. Not from a, well, technically in the, you know, you're saying I just need to get the shot this way and be able to do this way and let the sort of development of that tool emerge from those specific creative needs and it's just the best way.
Yeah, you'd, you'd mentioned kind of exploring in new, new mediums, which, I mean, you have an entire film kind of developed in, in the VR space. And, and I think something, I know you were able to make something that I've kind of never seen before. Um, could you talk a little bit about that kind of fusion? You know, it's, it's sometimes like not knowing what you're getting into is kind of a good thing. And, you know, I, I wish all, like, like Tilt Brush came out like when we were like 90% done with that from the same company. Like it was wow. like probably across the street the whole time. And it was so frustrating to know that I boarded in VR and Photoshop like four or five <laughs> passes at this thing. Think like the most difficult possible way, like drawing in 360 is hell. And, uh, <laughs> and to, just to try to get the story to work and in, in developing the engine, the engine didn't work until, the story, until we were completely done with the art. So, which means we couldn't watch the film wow. except for one shot at a time. Uh, it, it, it would have a pause while it loaded the next shot the cross-loading stuff wasn't fast enough on, on any of the devices yet. So the entire thing's a leap of faith at that point. And you're just like, I hope this works at all. So the fact that, you know, we ported it over to the Vive and it just played nicely and was okay was a miracle and lucky. And just to exercise in like all holding hands and aiming at the same goal and hoping that it doesn't break. Um, and then you... I, when I see that, I have a million things I want to change, but it's too late, so it's out. And I think we've all had that feeling of, like, hope this works. Yeah, just press run. Yeah. Um, Erica, I mean, you, you've had the experience of working in, in a, a brand new medium as well with, with game development, yeah. um, and, and your kind of fusion of your motion animation design sensibilities with the kind of interactive space um, brought us something that I thought was, was incredible and, and fresh. Uh, so could you talk a little bit about that experience? Sure, specifically how I use my motion background. Yeah, or just how, yeah. how they kind of came together. Well, I think uh, the reason why I did it, one, was a little bit out of a boredom of like, okay, I'm just, I'm making videos, they're going up on Vimeo, redo it, redo it, redo it. So wanting to break out and be a little bit naive. Um, so that was the impetus. But then I found that being a motion designer was so helpful in talking to developers because instead of being like, well, then it kind of twists, but then you have this like overextension and this, I could just be like, I'll just mock it up and then we can eliminate words and get there so much faster and you can see sort of the details that mean a lot to me and then we can, we can talk together about what details are possible. But uh, yeah, I found motion design not only helpful in just making the whole thing, testing the whole thing, proving ideas first to myself before I went to the developer and made my friend's life a little hellish, but just shortcutting those conversations. So, so valuable to be a motion designer in that sense. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about the role of, of community in originality. We, we are at Blend, after all. Um, and I think there are pros and cons, right? There, there is uh, a bit of an echo chamber sometimes, but then there is also, um, we, we get inspiration from each other. Um, yeah, and some people make awesome tutorials that help us you know, do one specific thing really well. Um, <laughs> I know how to make great, great raindrops now on Windows. So. <laughs> You should, uh, you should see my demo reel. Yeah? A lot of video copilot stuff. <laughs> that, that's it? That's all you got? Uh, yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I guess at the end of the day, it's like, what 
are we trying to do as designers? And I think that's the question that everyone needs to ask for themselves, right? Somebody who's learning like After Effects, and that's why I try not to be too critical of people who say copy tutorials for the sake of learning, you know, for the sake of like creating their first logo design or something like that. Because whatever, we could all look back at our first animations and things, and that is hopefully the worst we'll ever be at creating stuff. And to, you know, to allow that to be one state of the level of learning, right? You create what you're taught and then where do you go from there, right? There's this big conversation about sort of one a day renders, right? And I think for the pe I think it's great for a lot of people, right? It's great, it gives you a challenge every day, it gives you practice every day, and then you know, you just have to ask yourself, am I progressing, right? Or am I just creating cool, shiny things that glow, that look awesome, and getting all those dope likes, right? <laughs> or are we, are we trying to build something bigger than that? So, the, so it's just an individual question. Like, if you get to the point where you feel like it's redundant in your skill set, or you don't feel like you're progressing fast enough, then you change it up. If, if you're completely seeing this growth, then keep going with it. So it's just about finding where you are, what you need, and just being honest about your own assessment of, of where that is. Yeah. Anything more to add on, on the kind of community's role in, in kind of the pursuit of the new? Um, I'll just say that there is a, a quote that I think I talked about with you, which is a quote from Jim Jarmusch through um, Jean-Luc Godard that he said, it's not where you take things from, it's where you take them to. And I think um, the reality of the internet is that we're looking at all these micro-trends play out constantly. So um, to be aware of them and to sometimes mimic them isn't bad, but to this really buttress as well with what you're saying. It's, it's just where you take them to and making sure that you're advancing however small. Yeah, I look, at, I look to your community, which I don't really feel exactly a part of because I'm not a good designer, uh, like all of you are, but the, uh, the, it's a constant source of inspiration. And I work in, in the film business, which is, in, in the, on the big side of it, is behind in, in taste, really. It's like, I feel like advertising and um, just the personal work of motion designers and, and people doing Cinema 4D one-a-day things is, is way ahead taste-wise of that and kind of informs the industry, but probably like eight years down from when things are happening mm -hmm. because it takes so long for that, that like good taste to kind of seep into the community where people are willing to take like a, a risk with it. But I think it does have a huge influence. It's just kind of a forward-thinking edge of it. Yeah. So, oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm giving you credit, I guess. Yeah. You have to say nice things about them. <laughs> they clap. I was like, oh, that's good to hear. Yeah. Um, another word, another way to say it is they're stealing your ideas, just waiting a while before you see it. Our <laughs> 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 um, uh, industry is kind of known for a little bit of, of a crazy timeline, and, and I feel like that could be one of the biggest challenges. Uh, when it comes to trying to do something new, new or innovative, especially when we're just kind of waiting around for, for kind of the innovation to strike or inspiration. Um, yeah, could you guys maybe talk a little bit about that, that kind of, the, that pressure? I, I, I know you, you had quite the adventure pitching um, feast, like happened like that, right? 
Oh, yes. I mean, like sometimes you just have to take an opportunity and say yes and run with it, even if you're not ready. I feel like that's a, a major thing. Is that, are you leaning that way or towards the actual work timeline of how short the amount of time you guys have to make stuff is? Whichever you think is more interesting. Um, <laughs> Um, I don't know which is more interesting, but I, I feel like there's a community's responsibility in making sure that people respect the time it takes to do the things you're doing and understand what it takes. Um, the feature film industry in Los Angeles in the 40s unionized for that reason, and uh, or in the 50s maybe, I think. Um, but it and it and it caused a lot of. Everybody says it's going to be the end of everything, and it slows down and. And it makes production impossible, but it turns out, you know, if people really want the work, they step up and, and, and pay for it still, but it requires the whole community to do it together and yeah. not undercut each other. I don't know if that's possible in the current way business works uh, on the advertising and motion graphics side, how worldwide it is. Um, but it's definitely, you know, the industry didn't go away. Animators are still unionized in Los Angeles, um, you know, 60 years later, so something's okay about that in there and there you're able to make like a nice career out of it it's not the case in vancouver people get paid a lot less here um so i think the there's something about valuing your time that maybe was in that question that i think is really important yeah. among people who do creative work um and knowing when you're good and just saying take it if you want it or not um yeah i agree <laughs> yeah. with all that um well, I, I think, I mean, you mentioned that, like, use your constraints uh, to the best of your ability. So it's, you're like, I've got five days to, to do this, to set yourself up and say, what's the best thing that I can do in five days as opposed to what's the best thing that I can do? I, I think a lot of good stuff. I love that your WTF there. chart had, like, a, that is a line. Oh, item, yeah. Right? On each one, the it was, like, how long? Heart, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think scope, I mean, scope is, like, such a huge consideration for my own projects, uh, for the things that I take on. And, you know, if I know that it's, this project is scoped poorly, hopefully I have the bandwidth to say no, because, um, yeah, I, I, you, you can see yourself failing. And, and sometimes, you were saying this, sometimes you're like, all right, I'm not ready for this, I need to just run with it because it's exciting. That, that is conversely extremely important, but balancing between the two, being like, this scope is too insane, or this is scoped incorrectly and therefore I won't do it, or I'm really passionate and therefore I'm gonna use the constraints to the best of my ability to uh, make something as creative and original as I can. All right, I think we're gonna switch to some audience questions. My iPad is no longer on the internet, so if you guys have a laptop for me, that'd be awesome. So. Nice work so far. Or, or everybody else turn off their Wi-Fi. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Ori. You didn't pay the $500 AT&T fee to use your phone in Canada? <laughs> <laughs> no, I got Verizon, actually. It's free. It's just not working. So I don't know what's better. So. Which one is better? Who, who knows? <laughs> All right. Um, this one is from Fred Sprinkle for Mr. Kramer. Um, how old is Andrew really... He looks 30, but has make, been making tutorials for like 30 years. So what <laughs> is up with that? Uh, well, thank you. Um, I'm, I'm 32, and uh, it's, it seems like that. But uh, 
How long have you been doing it? And Video you have four Copi- children, so it's like you've been making kids for 30 years, too. <laughs> been very busy. Uh, what I would say is, no. Um, yeah, I guess Video Copilot started in 2005. Got married in 2006. And uh, so is that 30 years? I don't know. Somebody run the math on that. I don't, I don't know. Math's hard, man. Um, all right, this one's from Kevin Botka uh, for Patrick. Uh, what are the biggest challenges working in VR? Uh, there's, I think the, the, the most difficult thing is the audience's need to not feel like they're missing something when they, you know, when you have this, um, if you're putting on a play, you, you don't sit the audience on the stage and have like stuff happen behind them. You have an idea, you're, you're spotlighting to the audience where you want them to look and what you want them to see using all the tools that you have, uh, like actual spotlights, sound, uh, action. And the trickiest part about directing something is to realize that they could turn around and miss everything and how to deal with that and how to get them not to want to do that. Um, it's like a little bit of a manipulation of, of their mind to, to get them to feel like they saw the entire great story without um, really losing it. And, it's so easy just to like miss everything and turn around. So we had to build in ways for uh, things to only happen when people were looking in the right direction and for the film to wait sometimes and for the audio to bridge that or loop in a way where you can't tell it's waiting and things like that. So the film is actually between five and seven and a half minutes, depending on how you watch it. But usually people don't notice the difference. They hopefully just see what you're supposed to see. It's a little bit of a game engine-y thing yeah. compared to... That's why I think 360 video is really not VR yet. Mm-hmm. Until we get the full, like, light field point cloud camera thing going. <laughs> yeah. Which is out of reach right now. Uh, this one is for all of you from Chris. Uh, when have you ended up with something unoriginal, and how did you deal with it? Any takers? <laughs> um... You mean just like fails? That's what you want? <laughs> I, I have one of those. Um, I've been, like, This American Life is this great radio program um, that I'm sure a lot of you know and I love, I've loved for a long time. And I got, I got the opportunity to do something for Ira. And it was like, oh, this is the best. It's going to be amazing. And um, we met him over Skype and walked him through the thing and he just hated it. And, oh, no. and he's like, well, thanks for trying. <laughs> oh, no. I'm like, oh, that was my hero. <laughs> yeah. Um, shit, well, next thing. <laughs> yeah. uh, and it never, it never happens. It was going to be for like a stage show. We were, I, I thought it was going to be cool, but, you know, didn't work for him. So that was embarrassing and sad for me for a couple of days. <laughs> Maybe not original. I don't. Maybe it wasn't original, and that's why I hated it. Because he's pretty original. I think he's a good taste maker. So. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So when have you ended up with something not original, and yes. how have you dealt with it? Um, I don't know that I am so confident that everything that I do feels so original. So um, I don't. Uh, I'm like, oh, it just, it just feels terrible all the time, um, which is not true. Uh, so I. I, I, I feel like that question is so binary, right? It's original or it's not original, and I just don't, I don't see it that way. So, um, 
I don't know, a gray area where you're always sort of struggling and questioning, but you hopefully let, let yourself off the hook so that you can, yeah. you know, enjoy your life. I feel like Feast <laughs> is pretty non-original in some ways. It's like Lady and the Tramp and Boyhood and a uh, cooking show. Uh, <laughs> and, but maybe the combination of the three yeah. of those things is make something else. So there's, there's always that. <laughs> Andrew, have you, have you ever gotten done with something and it's not very exciting? <laughs> Never. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> well, speaking of which, right, uh, there was a point where a lot of the tutorials that I created were sort of based on the, you know, the things the community were interested in creating, right? Like you might see a movie and you say, how did they do this effect? And you, and I would always say, all right, let me see if I can break that down and turn that into something. And, and likewise, you might, you, know, you might see a title design and say, all right, well, maybe I can make a tutorial on showing. So what I would say is there was a point where I, I, guess, I guess I started to consider myself a designer some, somehow for some reason. I was like, man, it's a good day today, I guess. <laughs> but that made me sort of question like creating tutorials based on other people who create really awesome work. And it's like, on one hand, you're, sh you're showing your sort of technical ability to sort of recreate something else that someone else has envisioned, and that can be useful for the learning process. And Video Copilot is about learning, but on the same note, you're saying, gosh, I don't want to like ruin that person's style and the thing they got going for them by creating something that is going to, you know, do you know what I mean? Like something that isn't fully earned and and breaks it down in a way that seem makes it seem simple. Like it's always easy to break apart something that you've already seen than it is to come up with that original idea. And I value that so much that it sort of made me question who I am. <laughs> Just got real. <laughs> All right, this one's for all of you from Jason and Amy. Uh, is it easier to create within constraints or rules, or would you rather be given space to do anything that you want? No. <laughs> it's definitely easier to create within constraints. Yeah. Um, I enjoy that a lot, and some of the difficulty of going outside of the studio system is that um, you start to get very wide open with what you could possibly do and it becomes a little bit more difficult to focus down into something. Yeah. You know, you, hit, you have a lunch and someone will literally ask, what TV show would you make? And you're like, any TV show? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, that's a weird question. Like, you're asking what I like? Which TV show would I copy? Or what's my original idea? I have no idea, you know, it's kind of, then, you then you're do, playing the psychological game with, this executive or producer, like, what, what do they want me to say? And then you say the right thing or the wrong thing, and it either gets made or it doesn't, but, uh, you know, that's, it's terrible to work that way. It's better to start with some kind of, like, area and focus or problem. Like, uh, for Google, it has to run on an engine that's smaller than a megabyte on a cell phone that's three years old at 90 frames a second. That's the rule. Wow. Whatever you do has to fit within that, you know, you can't do any compositing or anything, it has to just work, and uh, that becomes an awesome challenge to try to get something that looks beautiful that way. So, and I know games are a similar thing, 
So I think that's great. It helps you. Yeah, I totally concur with both of you. I feel like I'm like, I want to go to a, a totally new empty field and then draw like the tiniest box. <laughs> so When you can do anything with unlimited budget, you get like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is, it looks amazing, but it's like just full of noise, you know? Yeah, I think just some of the different things uh, that were said earlier just about helping you focus within that constraint. It just, it just, it limits the possibilities that you have to consider and that you have to break down and gives you more of a chance to come up with something creative that, you know, resonates with that subject or that topic. Yeah. Yeah. I think also, especially with like software, it's like you'll draw the smallest box, but then you'll still find more constraints within it. Like, so it, it it's kind of this tunnel that just keeps going. So. This is kind of a classic, but what tips do you have for creating a healthy work-life balance? I'm not good at that. No? <laughs> I have a five-week-old baby, and I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it's, it is important. <laughs> um, you know, it's tough when you, like for me, it's like that's all I've ever wanted to do is make movies. So um, to me, there's never been a difference between life and work. And um, that's definitely a thing that you have to make sure the people you surround yourself with kind of get. Uh, that's the, the support of family and friends who understand it, I think, is the most important part. That it's not work for you all the time, even though it technically is. Um, I know that maybe that's not a healthy way to think about it, but um, I'd be doing it if I wasn't getting paid. So... Yeah. Uh, kind of counts, I think. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. At the same time, I think not attaching all of your self-value to, uh, to the quality of your work is important. So letting yourself off the hook a little bit um, when you make something that you're like, oh, that really didn't live up to where I want to go um, is important. And um, if you are a freelancer or even a studio out there, like you just naturally go through periods of being intensely busy and then not, and not that I am a, such a pro at this, but when I'm not busy, I try to just have faith that it, it's, it's gonna come back and use those um, slow periods to you know, travel, go outside, work on my own stuff, um, and sort of try to ride the wave, so. Well, you know, like I'll, be working on a movie, uh, I have a family, I'm running uh, a software company, I'm trying to make tutorials, and someone will ask me, like, how do you do it all? And I'm like, who said that? Because I'm all by myself. No. <laughs> <laughs> Did you rehearse but, that? You need a symbol, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we set this up. Uh, no, but... It, I had time to think. Come on, I was trying to work out some material. <laughs> no. <laughs> but in all seriousness, like, I, I, it's not smooth, right? Like, it's not. You're bouncing back and forth. I mean, that's one of the hardest things is you make progress on something because you know you have that other thing, but you make progress, and then the other project comes along, and you have to work on that. But then when you come back to something else or back to that original project, you have to like reset, like, okay, hold on. So 
it's extremely challenging. The whole idea of multitasking and all that is like not very doable. But I think you just have to find ways to not get overwhelmed by it, right? Just understand that crazy is a little bit part of it, right? And you guys have all talked to people where, have you ever talked to somebody who said that they were busy and you're just like laughed? You're like, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what busy is. And your friends, you guys all understand when somebody says, things busy, it's like, yeah. And you're like, you know, that person is dealing with a lot of stuff. And so it's, it's something that we probably all understand and recognize a little bit more, but it's just about the mindset of pushing through it and not letting that bring you down. Have you ever gone consciously against a trend? And if so, what drove it and how did it turn out? It's a stumper. I mean, that, that, my Disney stuff was definitely like that attempt. And, yeah. um, and just being able to make software that doesn't do what we expect, I think, was against the trend there. I, I feel like, weirdly, it's, it's, it, was the, it is the trend in art communities, but Disney doesn't make movies for animators. Um, if, you make, if you make stuff for the animation community, you can't survive as an animator because it's too expensive and there's too little of you. Um, so you have to be kind of, luckily you can follow the trend in the animation community and it feels like it's against the, the corporate trend and maybe feel fresh in some way and I think that's what we kind of slid into. Um, that felt okay. I think, I think quitting a major studio to you know, direct a VR piece at an at internet company is a bit weird. But uh, More on that tomorrow A lot of maybe. people are like, why are you doing that? Yeah. <laughs> it seems dumb. But... I was like, I don't want to be poor. That's the real reason. And it seemed like, for me, it's like, it, it, I feel like that I was kind of going with a trend. Maybe VR is like a cool thing to play around with, and I just like playing with new stuff. That's really what it is. But I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm ever subverting a trend on purpose. I'm not cool enough. Yeah, like I don't. I, I usually, I, I, I guess I like to experiment in things that. I see happening and maybe I'm not interested in, but I want to see how to do that. And I think it just helps, it always ends up helping you see something in a, in a better way. So even if there's like a look or a style, you know, you're 2D, 3D, it's, it's cool to just experiment things and then maybe there's something about that you might learn that you can kind of bring back to your own work in a whole different way. And uh, so I guess, experimenting with it just, just for the fun of it, I guess. Yeah. I'll say sometimes that I, I wish that I could make... So I don't, I, I'm not trying to say that all, I think all of the work that I make is pretty, but um, I wish that I would give myself more of a leash to make ugly work. <laughs> um, I think there's the Gunner... Gunner people are here, and I was listening to your last podcast. And, and they, they make were, ugly work? No, 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 no. Hold on. <laughs> stick with me. Stick with yeah. me. They, they, were right, talking right. About a short, they were talking about a short that they made that clients were like, cool, like that, don't want to do that. Yeah. But, um, I don't know, taking those chances uh, and being like, I don't, I don't totally know if this is ugly or not, that sometimes new things can come from that, and I feel like the thing I wish for myself is to... Um, 
maybe push beyond where I'm like, is this ugly? I'm not sure. But maybe there'll be something new in there. So. Well, that's all the time we've got. Um, <laughs> thanks so much to the three of you. Everybody, uh, please give it up thanks. for Andrew, Erica, and Patrick.